Long ago, a man sought the perfect picture of peace. Not finding one that satisfied, he announced a contest to produce this masterpiece. The challenge stirred the imagination of artists everywhere, and paintings arrived from far and wide. On the day of the great reveal, judges uncovered one peaceful scene after another, while the viewers clapped and cheered. As a judge pulled the cover from one, the crowd gasped in surprise. Could this be peace? A tumultuous waterfall cascaded down a rocky precipice. Stormy gray clouds threatened to explode with lightning, wind, and rain. In the midst of the thundering noises and bitter chill, a spindly tree clung to the rocks at the edge of the falls. In it, a little bird had built a nest in the elbow of a branch. Content and undisturbed in her stormy surroundings, she rested on her eggs. With her eyes closed and her wings ready to cover her little ones, she manifested peace that transcends all earthly turmoil. How is it possible to find peace in the midst of such turmoil? It's more than just the absence of conflict in someone's life. It is also the presence of God in our lives. Welcome to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp. Here, we hope you'll find answers to some of life's everyday struggles. You can learn more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. Peace is something that appears to elude us at every turn, which can make you wonder if you'll ever find it. Today, Charles Tapp helps you discover a peace that passes all understanding, even in the current climate in which we live. With his message, The Pursuit of Peace. Recently, I read about a counselor who was having a session with a couple who were dealing with some very difficult and challenging issues in their marriage. And when asked by the counselor what each of them wanted more than anything, invariably, their response was the same. We simply want peace. How many of us are saying that same thing today? We simply want peace. And when asked to describe what that peace would look like, the husband said that peace is when my wife and I don't fight. Now, don't look at your spouse right now. I don't want you to get you into trouble. And when asked the same question, the wife responded by saying, peace is when I'm feeling secure in my relationship. You know, the dictionary defines peace as freedom from disturbance or something like tranquility. And from the very beginning, humankind has been in a never-ending pursuit of this thing called peace. We have pursued it through the means of the formulation of treaties and peace accords. In 2001, we even established an international day of peace through the United Nations. And as strange as it may sound, we have even pursued peace through the violent vehicle of war. Peacekeeping forces have been put together whose job it is to help maintain the peace between hostile forces. But if we dare to be honest with ourselves today, we have to admit that despite our very sincere and valiant efforts, it appears as though we continue 
to never get a hold of this thing called peace, that peace seems to always elude us at every turn, which can't help us but to wonder and to ask the question, will we ever find, will we ever get a hold of, will there ever be a time where you and I can truly embrace this thing called peace? Could it be that for some reason our inability to find it is because we're really not sure what we're looking for in the first place? You know, of course there's the peace that most, if not all of us desire, where we want to have a world where there's no conflict, where there's the absence of strife and conflict, whether it's the conflict between warring nations or the conflict between warring families or even the conflict that is raging, warring within our very souls. We want this thing called peace and we want it desperately. I have always been curious when it comes to the etymology of words. You know, knowing the, the origin of a word can help to you to have a better appreciation for that word. But when you look at the etymology of the word peace, it comes from the Anglo-French word pes, which finds its roots in the Latin pax, which means peace or agreement or the absence of hostility. But our English word that we use today for peace comes from a translation of the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom meaning to complete, or shalom meaning to make something that is broken whole. But the word shalom carries with it an even deeper meaning than peace. It also includes definitions like justice and good health and, and safety and prosperity and good fortune and restoration of especially things like relationships. And it even has the meaning of friendliness. Have you ever heard someone in a greeting say shalom, peace, hello, goodbye? But throughout the Old Testament, the idea of shalom, the idea of peace is one, dear friends, that embodies the presence of God. The presence of God in the lives of his people. Turn with me this morning to Numbers chapter 6 as we look at verses 22 to verse 26 as we read God's word together. Look at what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, the Lord bless you and what? Keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you what? Give you this thing called peace. This is known as the 
ironic blessing, or today we simply refer to it as the blessing. But these are the words that God gave to Moses to give to Aaron and his sons to have them to give to the people as a way of God pouring a blessing in their lives. They were to speak this over the lives of God's people. And this blessing was simply a request on the part of God to bless his people and to keep them. It is asking God to allow his face to shine upon them and to be gracious unto him. In essence, this thing has to do with experiencing the favor of God. Favor means doing something in your life that only God can do. Have you ever heard someone say, that was the favor of God in my life? In essence, they were saying, God did something for me that I was unable to do for myself. The blessing goes on to say, pray that he may turn his face toward you and give you peace. Please don't miss this. God's face towards you and me denotes that God, dear friends, is giving us his full attention. You know, one of the most frustrating things you can experience, and I've experienced this before, where you're talking to someone, but they are not looking right at you. In essence, they are telling you with their body language that you don't have their full attention. Isn't that frustrating? Some of us may even be guilty of that. I know I have in the past, but thank God for grace, amen? What this is saying to us when God turns his face toward us, God cares. God is giving you, he's giving me, he's giving your situation and my situation, dear friends, his full attention. Now, I don't have to have somebody else's full attention, but if I've got God's full attention in my life, there is no better thing that you and I can have. Who says amen to that today? This is a blessing to be poured upon God's people. He assures them that he is their keeper, that he is their protector. It is a promise to love them as only a father could love them. It is a promise, dear friends, to grant them wholeness, to grant them completion, to grant them fullness of life, and yes, to grant them this thing called peace. And what makes them complete, what makes them whole, what makes you whole, what makes me complete, as this blessing is pronounced upon them and upon us, it is an essence that God is placing his mark. He is placing his name. He is placing his stamp of approval on our lives. And again, the Hebrew idea of peace, dear friends, is more than just the absence of conflict in someone's life. It is also the presence of God in our lives. So if God's face is toward us, it simply means, dear friends, that God approves of you, that God approves of me, and that God is with us. And if God is with us, then who? can be against us. And because God is with us, it makes us complete. It makes us 
whole. And you and I can then experience this thing called peace. But if God ever decides, please, please hear me today. If God ever decides to turn his face away from us, then we will lose that peace. You know, this idea of peace in the Old Testament, it is more complete than in any other book than that of the book of Isaiah. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. I want to look at just one verse. Isaiah epitomizes this idea of what peace really is. Look at it, Isaiah 9 and 6. We all know this well-known verse. For unto us, what? A child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the what? The government will be upon his shoulders. Not mine, not yours, his. And his name will be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Please don't miss this last one. Prince of Peace. It is in the prophecy of the first advent of Christ where he is given among many other names, this name, this title of Sar Shalom, Prince of Peace. The one who will at last bring about completion to this troubled world as well as to our troubled souls. The one who will bring about wholeness to our lives that have been broken and cracked by this thing called sin. But it is also here within the book of Isaiah where this idea of peace reaches a crescendo. Let's go back to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 51, 53 this time, as we look at verses 1 to verse 5. Look at what it says. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He has no form of comeliness. And when we see him, there's what? No beauty that he should, we should desire him. He is despised and what? Rejected by men. A man of what? Sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely, he says, we are born our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him what? Stricken smitten by God and afflicted. Verse 5, probably one of the most well-known verses in the entire book of Isaiah. But he was wounded, praise God, for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by what? His stripes we are healed. Look at that again. But when you see the pronoun our, put your name there. But he was wounded for 
Charles's transgressions. He was bruised for Charles's iniquities. The chastisement of Charles's peace was upon him, and by his stripes, Charles is healed. Who says amen to that today? You're listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Pursuit of Peace. And if you're enjoying this message or you'd like to find others like it, you can find out more by visiting simpletruthsforlife.org. We'll conclude with the rest of his message right after this. Jesus came here for you. No matter what your skin color is. Jesus came here for you if you're Republican, Democrat, neutral, don't know or don't care, or any political party. Jesus came for the far left and the far right, or if you're somewhere in between. Jesus came for the person who cut you off in traffic. Jesus came for the homeless, the poor, the middle class, and the rich. Jesus came for love. Love. Jesus came for you and for all his children. We're here to remind you of that. WGTS 91.9. Always encouraging. And 88.3 on the Eastern Shore. This is Simple Truths for Life, and it can seem as though peace eludes us at every turn. This week, Charles Tapp helps you discover a peace that passes all understanding. As he concludes his message, the pursuit of peace. Isaiah 53, one to five speaks of what God is wanting to do in the lives of his people to the degree he wanted to be with him so, we wanted to be with us rather so much that he becomes one like us, he becomes one of us. But instead of us welcoming him with open arms, Isaiah simply says that we turned our back on him. And if you look at the reasons here in Isaiah 53, why they did that when Jesus came upon the scene, you, you can see very clearly that there's some of the same reasons that you and I turn our backs on people today. It says that he was not physically attractive or appearing, or at least by their standards anyway, but as I've always read, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Jesus didn't have the pedigree that the culture found acceptable. He was born in a Bethlehem stable. He grew up in the despised city of Nazareth. In other words, Jesus was from the wrong side of the tracks. All this is prophesied here in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And in verse 4, it says, We esteemed him stricken by God. Initially, he would be rejected because the assumption would be that the punishment he was receiving on the cross was because of his own sins. But verse 5 clears it up, dear friends, and lets us know that the cross wouldn't be because of his sins. The cross is because of my sins. The cross is because of your sins. The chastisement of our peace, the payment for our restoration was placed on him. Why? So that you and I could experience this thing that has been eluding us all the while, this thing called peace. You and I can have peace with God because our peace was paid for by God. And this is where we have veered off the track when it comes to our endless pursuit of peace. Our pursuit of peace, dear friends, has, has primarily been focused on peace 
from the standpoint of being the absence of conflict within our world, and we have neglected to come to grips with the peace that is needed because of the conflict that you and I have not with the world, but with God. The conflict that you and I have with our creator as his creatures. A conflict, by the way, that we brought upon ourselves. That's where, why verse 5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. That word transgression means our deliberate acts of sin. Not that you fell, not that I made a mistake, our deliberate acts of sin. God paid for that in the form of Jesus so that we can have this thing called peace. Listen, our pursuit of peace will not be wrought through governmental decrees. It will never be obtained, dear friends, by societal reforms. It'll never come about as the result of some economic stimulus. Why? Because the pursuit of peace can't be found in these things regardless of how admirable they may be but it will only be found in the pursuit, not of these things or through these things, but only in the pursuit of a person. You see, the pursuit of peace is really all about pursuing a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. We've been pursuing it through various means, through various systems, the pursuit of peace, true, lasting, genuine peace, is the pursuit of a person. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 10, looking at verses 32 to verse 36. Let's look at Jesus' own words here. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Verse 34. Please don't miss this. This is the most important part of this passage. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, Jesus says, but a sword. Verse 35. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Jesus is saying in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, that he didn't come to bring peace. Now, at first glance, this appears to be in stark contradiction to what the Old Testament prophecies have predicted about the Messiah. This is the Prince of Peace. This is the one who our chastisement was laid upon him so that we could have peace. Even the announcement of Christ's birth by the angels proclaimed glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and goodwill to all men. But here in Matthew 10, Jesus makes it clear that the peace that he came and brought with the first advent is not a peace between a father and his son, between a daughter and 
the mother. It is not a peace between humanity that Jesus brought at the first advent, but it was a peace between creature and creator, a peace between a sinner and a holy God. Please don't miss this. Jesus didn't come into the world in the first advent to bring peace. Jesus came into the world to make peace. You see, they thought Jesus came to bring about peace, to end all conflict, and eventually that will happen, but not now. But when he came in the first advent, he didn't come to bring peace. He came to make peace between God and sinful humanity. The peace that so many of us are longing for, especially now in the times in which we're living, dear friends, that too will be brought about by the advent of Christ, but only the second advent when he returns as King of kings and Lord of lords. But here's the thing. If we ever hope to experience that peace, we must first experience the peace that is ours only through accepting Christ, the Prince of Peace, as our Lord and Savior. That's what Paul is talking about here in Philippians chapter four. Let's go there quickly. Verses six and seven, one of my favorite passages from Paul's epistles. He says, be anxious for what? Nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made what? Known to God. Now here it is. And the what? Peace of God. Whose peace? The peace of God, which surpasses what? All understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Please don't miss this today. What Paul is telling us that when we accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross and accept him as our Lord and Savior, he will give us a peace that surpasses, that will confound anyone and everyone. It is a peace not from without. It is a peace from within. That is the peace that God brings us in the midst of turbulence, in the midst of turmoil, in the midst of tragedy. God can bring us peace. Look at this quotation by the 17th century Puritan pastor, preacher, and author Thomas Watson. If God, say it with me, if God be our God, he will give us what? Peace in trouble. When there is a storm without, he will do what? Make peace within. That's the peace Paul was talking about. The world, please don't miss this part. The world can create trouble in peace. How many of you know that to be true? But God can create peace in trouble. It is the peace that passes all understanding. Why? Because it is a peace that can only come about through when you and I are made whole in our relationship with God 
through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. While the rest of the world around you is in turmoil, dear friends, you and I can be at peace. When the winds of strife blow, and trust me, you know this, they're blowing right now. They may even be blowing in your home where you are, but you can be at peace. Just like Jesus calmed the storm that night, he can calm the storm and bring peace to your life and my life. You know, I have no idea when all of this is going to be over. I have no idea when Jesus is going to return. But you and I don't have to wait until he returns to experience peace. He's already given a down payment for that peace. He gave it at the cross. And you and I can experience that peace in our lives right now. Why? Because it's the peace of God that comes from the Prince of Peace. Again, Jesus didn't come to bring peace. Jesus came to make peace. You've been listening to Simple Truths for Life with Charles Tapp and his message, The Pursuit of Peace. And if you want to listen again or share it with someone, you can find these messages on platforms like Apple Podcasts and now also on Spotify. Or visit us online at simpletruthsforlife.org. Now here's what we're working on for next week. The only reason the light has come into the world is not to condemn us, but the only reason the light has come into the world, and that is to save us. God doesn't want you living in darkness or in fear. Next week, Charles Tapp shares the greatest light that was brought to this earth just for us. As he shares his message, have you seen the light? Well, thanks for listening, and we hope you'll plan to join us again next week for more Simple Truths for Life.